I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Market Watch podcast by Amplify Live, where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the head of market analysis and joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Okay, it is Friday, the 6th of August, and it's just coming up to 5 p.m. here on a Friday afternoon. So, Piers, we'd normally be having this conversation in a, in a different location at this type of time and day in the week. Uh, even in a, <laughs> in a COVID time, we're getting somewhat back to normality because we did see one another in person uh, yesterday, which was which was nice to do, going in the city again. Yeah, um, but obviously it's been a super busy day, so it's a little bit later. But it has meant that we managed to capture obviously non-farm payrolls. So this podcast, we're going to talk about payrolls. But first things first, it's all good in the hood, Piers, <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about Robin Hood because to give a bit of context for those people who don't follow the stock. Yeah, too closely. They have IPO'd. Their share price has effectively more than doubled by the middle of the week. Um, it was interesting. It actually sold off on the first day, and the amount of hate that the media yeah. was was dropping at the oh. door of Robin Hood was pretty heavy. And interestingly, I was sat with some of the uh, let's say younger guys on the team yesterday and having a chat. And I was like, "What do you feel about the whole Robin Hood IPO?" And uh, they were saying at the time that there's a lot of there's a lot of hate on those community boards like Reddit, Wall Street Bets, and so on, because of what happened through that episode, where a lot of those traders, those retail traders, obviously got hurt bad, not being able to get out of positions and so on. And, yeah. and there was a lot of a bit of a call to arms, they were saying, to, to teach Robin Hood a lesson. And certainly on the first day of trade, it felt like that. By I think 48 hours later, though, they were trading, they'd more than doubled, gone up 100%. Yeah. Um, they they kind of opened uh, sub forty. They've hit a high, looks like about seventies, and now they've come back pretty even, Stephen, at fifty four. But yeah, I just thought we could talk a little bit about how Robinhood works as a business, 
how they generate their money, like where's this income come from? And then yeah. also this IPO, from what I read, it was a lot different. I can understand why they want to tap into this moment in time where there's huge popularity around what they're trying to cultivate. So perhaps let's start with that first, because yeah. it seems... It's really interesting. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, the whole thing is democratizing, you know, trading democratizing, you know, access to markets for the retail, you know, your, your average Joe on the street, uh, hence their name, right? It's kind of stealing from the rich and giving back to the poor. And the way they did this was the big disrupting move they took was they launched their, their, their platform and they made it free to trade. So no transaction fees, right? And which is just an absolute game changer from like the the big guns in that space, like Charles Schwab, for example, um, you know, they make their revenue and their money from transaction fees. So every time you place a trade, they will charge you a fee for that pleasure of placing the trade. And here's Robin Hood going, you know, stop robbing people. And here you go, guys, it's free. And so obviously it was like, bang, wow, a big disruptor on two fronts because obviously they became really popular and loads of people started opening accounts on Robin Hood, but it actually also forced the big boys like Charles Schwab to, to also cut fees and in, in certain products go to zero, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they're, um, they're, they're kind of user growth has, has been huge, right? The number of people um, opening accounts, um, even after that negative episode that you mentioned there at the start of the year um, with GameStop, and they, they kind of had to shut down their service for a couple of days because they didn't have the capital to kind of, the, the volume of trades, and then there's a two-day settlement period, right? And because of that, the volume of trades was so off the scale, they actually didn't have enough funding to be able to, to operate. So they had to shut down and people got locked out and they couldn't exit and they missed the top and there's a lot of anger around that. But actually, you might have thought that that would have led to a bit of a revolt and people closing accounts or certainly not people opening new ones, right? You might have thought that, but that's entirely wrong. It's that old thing about, you know, any press is, is good press, right? And their, their, their account opening growth has continued to be exponential even after that, that episode. So now they've got, I mean, it's quite incredible. They've got 20, I think it's 22 million um, customers, active customers with funded accounts, um, bearing in mind that really five years ago, they were nowhere. So it has been quite an extraordinary kind of explosion. Now, what their offer on the face of it Sounds good. Free transactions. Yeah, I must say, am I am I getting? Uh, is that, am I showing my age here? It's like that age old saying. It's like nothing in life comes for free. It's like yeah. I don't know. Maybe you know. What's the hook here? There's so the hook. Catch. The hook is. I mean, there is no hook on the face of it if you just trade simple stuff like stocks. Okay, then 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 it's free. If you want to trade other stuff that's less, let's call it vanilla. And then there are fees. Uh, so if you want to trade derivatives like options, for example, if you want to trade crypto, um, if you want to trade you know, other stuff, then you, you do get charged fees. And actually, um, a big part of it is something like 40% of their income from transaction fees um, comes from options trading. 
Um, so yeah, if you do want to trade other stuff, so they kind of lure you in, open your account, you know, it's all free, free, free. And then, oh, oh, hang on, you want to trade that? Ah, okay. Well then, okay, we're going to have to charge you something. Okay. So that's one way they kind of monetize it, which is fine. Um, the other way is, again, pretty controversial. Well, it's, it's controversial in certain quarters. So the other way is they, they sell their trade flow. So there's big, the big market makers out there, um, like Citadel, for example, um, will pay for this trade flow. Because one thing is a transaction fee. That's just paying a, a flat fee to do the trade, right? But then when you're buying and selling assets, you don't, if you want to buy or if you want to sell, it's not at the same price. You don't buy and sell at the same price as a, as a kind of market taker, right? So if I'm buying, I need to buy at what's called the offer. And that's the market maker who's the counterparty in that trade. So if I want to buy, well, obviously there needs to be a counterparty. Someone needs to sell to me, right, at that price. And what happens on these platforms is that if I'm buying on Robinhood a stock, well, actually Citadel are the counterparty. They're the market maker sat there with their offer price. So I, I buy at their offer price, Citadel are selling, okay? So they're now short, if you like. Now, park that. Let's say I wanted to sell. Well, now if I want to sell, I need to sell and I need a buyer to be my counterparty. So here I sell at Citadel's bid, okay? And they're buying. And this is what we call the spread. It's the price difference between the bid and the offer. It's the price difference between the buy price and the sell price. And this is where these market makers make their money because they're, they're buying at their bid and selling at their offer. And there's a tiny price, you know, it's not a big price difference, but when you get monster volumes, then every single trade, you make a tiny little bit. But if you do millions and millions and millions of trades, then obviously this starts to add up. So uh, Robin Hood get paid, you know, north of $100 million for sure for their trade flow. And this is where their market, then the city levels of this world get access to this monster retail volume. Um, and and, they this, and this is what goes against the whole democratizing finance. Absolutely. Because in the end, it's the big institutions that come in and mop it all up. And the other thing that's happened, again, to Citadel's advantage is that with this massive increase in volatility, so when volatility goes up, and certainly if you think about these meme stocks, I mean, the volatility is off the scale, right? So what happens with the spread when volatility increases? The market maker will increase the spread. So that means the price differential between that bid and offer increases which means their profit margin increases when all this volume comes through. So yeah, that's why there's a lot of, there's a big camp of, of you know, anti-Robin Hood people who are saying, actually, you're doing the exact opposite to what you're, you're presenting to the, to, the, to the retail guys. You're behind closed doors. You're just shoveling all, all these retail guys' cash back up into the institutions. And so, yeah, that's why it's a little bit, Controversial. Okay. Well, look, two other questions on the back of the Robin Hood story. One is about what's the standard protocol for an IPO process and how did Robin Hood's process differ? So let's tackle that one first. Yeah. So Robin Hood IPO'd last week, um, you know, just cashing in on this, um, you know, rise to popularity and fame that they've had. Um, it's amazing so actually just- how, how long it took because obviously for them it's a race to market, right? To capture yeah. this this euphoric kind of sentiment at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I mean, they have been around. I think it's 2014, am I right in saying? I think that they launched. So they have been around, but it's only really in the last, or certainly in the, in the COVID year, it's just exploded. And so now that it's exploded and their number of accounts and their revenues are obviously going out, it's like, right, let's, let's kind of cash in a bit. So yeah, because of their, you know, we are for the people, they decided to IPO in a slightly different way to what a normal company would IPO. And they want to, I mean, the, I guess there's a lot of differences, but I'll just focus on two. Um, one is what happens when a company wants to IPO? They, need, they do what's called a roadshow, which is where the management team get taken out, uh, get put in front of potential investors. And the management team need to tell the story, sell the story, right? This is our business. It's amazing. Look at our growth trajectory, blah, 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 right? Sell the story, trying to generate demand for the shares when they get issued and sold, right? Now, so normally the roadshow would take a few weeks and you go around to loads and loads, you do these pitches all the time, okay, to, to institutional investors. Now, Robin Hood, their roadshow lasted 45 minutes. It was on Zoom and anybody could turn up from anywhere. It was open to the global public. Um, so that was a big difference. Um, and then secondly, now, when it comes to these IPOs, normally during that roadshow, so there'll be an investment bank that's advising the company that's IPOing. And that investment bank, of course, has got huge numbers of you know, financial institution clients, your big asset managers, and so on. And, and basically, the absolute vast majority of the shares that get issued are reserved for institutional entities to buy. Because these banks, they don't want to mess about with the tiny little guy. Yeah, I'll have 10 shares, please. They want asset managers will go, yep, I'll have 20 million shares, thanks. Okay, so normally it's the institutions that get all of this. Well, Robin Hood, 35% of their share float got sold to retail investors, which was a brand new thing. And they did other stuff like normally there's a lot of restrictions around. And this is what happened. So they IPO'd and then the share price dropped on that day which is quite unusual. It closed down, I think it dropped at 12% at its max, but closed down 8%, okay? When we talk about the fact it's doubled since, I mean, that 8% obviously is nothing. Um, but one of the things they got criticized for, normally employees of the business can't sell shares. There's a lockout period for six months after an IPO. Uh, Robin Hood scrapped that. There was no lockout period. And so the IPO and the share price went down. Everyone's like, oh, well, look, you shouldn't have let your employees sell their shares. That's just, um, so there are a few differences there. But of course, then, you know, what's happened, I, you know, ironically, they've become the meme stock. Right? Well, that's, that's my, that was my next question, which was, I mean, that can't be a healthy place to be when, well, you say that, I don't know <laughs> what's GameStop trading these days, but um, they're still alive. A company that was on the ropes in the twelfth round, so perhaps perhaps yeah. it can have added benefits. But um, yeah. can, you, can, you, can you imagine? Just I mean, look, you're you're a founder of Amplify. Can you imagine having a company that's listed, the share price active? I mean, just going about your merry way and then getting a little alert on your watch. And it's, oh, your share price is up 20%. And you're like, yes, you're like, let's go. <laughs> great stuff. What a great day. And then <laughs> half an hour later, you're down 40%. I mean, geez. Yeah. That's... I mean, that is a, yeah, that's a roller coaster I definitely wouldn't want to be on. Um, I mean, 
I, 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 I'm going to say something. I might regret it because it might, I might look stupid at some point next week. People love but, it when you put yourself out there, Piers. So let's have it. <laughs> I don't think this is the next meme stock. I think what's happened this week, I think that's it. I think okay. it will now kind of fizzle out. Um, the reason I say that is because, yeah, it's not like a it's not like a GameStop, as you're saying, which is such a dinosaur of a business model, but it's it's dead, right? And somehow got revived by these these retail guys. And great story, but you know, Robinhood's not a dead business model. Um, number one, you some people might argue, well, they've explosively um, expanded, and that is a peak already. And, and mm. so maybe you could spin that argument. The other thing about the meme stocks and the reason why they jumped thousands of percent was because there was a lot of short covering going on. So this is where all the hedge funds were short and the retail guys started buying and pushed price so high that these hedge funds actually get out of their short positions, which meant they had to buy, which then forced the price up. There's no real short positioning here in Robin Hood, nothing like there hasn't been enough time. I mean, the shares only IPO'd last week, right? So there hasn't been enough time for the big hedge funds to build up short positions in this stuff. So it's not yeah. really the same market dynamics that are driving this up. Now, now obviously, it did spike 100%. So something's going on. But mm. I can't help but think this is just a bit of a storm in a teacup. And it's a really interesting story. And the press got hold of it. And then it went like wildfire. And everyone's, oh, my God, it's the next thing. Stop. Let's buy. Let's buy. Yep. And then I think, actually, it's not. So I guess the end conclusion here, being a person who holds a number of shares in a number of companies, Robinhood, what, good if it came to a certain price or just not interested? Uh I'm not interested now. It's just, it's, where's, what's the fair price? I mean, yeah. it IPO'd at what, like 35, so, 36? So but I don't know what the fair price is. Given you've just said that, just give us a little bit. What, is, what do you mean by fair price? Well, what's the value of the business? Um, and the share price at the moment, I don't think necessarily fairly reflects the value of the business, but it's been so violent and volatile. It's kind of got a bit of a nonsense. And um, I, I just think that, yeah, as COVID goes away and people have got more time on their hands, it might naturally lead to, it's a bit like Amazon. You know, they've been, like we were talking about last week, Robinhood have been a huge beneficiary of COVID. And therefore it stands to reason that, you know, won't, post-COVID be bad news for them. And I'm not saying they're going anywhere, but I'm just thinking those growth rates, that the exponentiality of their growth rate has probably peaked. And so, you know, I think for now it's trading at $54. And yeah, I'm not interested in buying it at $54. Yeah. Remember one of those other companies that IPO'd a few months back that you really were hating on? Uh, Deliveroo. Up Go on. 14% on the year now. So, well, it's the year, I say over the last, they've basically rallied from 250 to 325, 327 close at the highs today. Okay. Back in business. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Well, yeah, whatever. Medium term. Okay. I mean, medium term. Well, anyway. All right. End it. <laughs> I'm zipped. Zipped. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, cool. Well, look, let's move on. Let's quickly do payrolls. And yeah. so, um, yeah, payrolls just came out. A quick look at the figures. The headline came in at 943,000 for the month of July. Expectations were for 870. Two months net revision plus 119,000. And the unemployment rate as well dropped by a larger amount than expected. So the overall assessment here is that, you know, good jobs report. The unemployment rate is 5.4%. Uh, expected was 5.7. The previous was 5.9. So the market reaction initially was very much to that type of top level um, effect. And what that meant was that, you know, the dollar exploded higher as the yields, T-notes fell. Gold came under pressure as the dollar picked up pace and it's weighed on the major pairs. But there's a couple of things here, I think, to be aware of. And then we can round this off with talking about the bigger question, which is what does this mean for tapering, which has been a real hot topic of division at the Federal Reserve this very week. So yeah. a couple of stats here and, and things to be aware of. And then we can talk about particularly this uh, point about schooling. Um, but... Uh, the actual non-farm payroll employment in July is up by 16.7 million since April 2020. Remember, that was when we hit that, that initial trough, if you like, on the initial global shutdown. Yeah. But we're still down 5.7 million um, from its pre-pandemic level. So that's, that's the gap that's diminishing over time, but that's the sort of the, the context. Uh, in July, employment in leisure and hospitality increased by 380,000. Two-thirds of the job gain was in food services and drinking places. So, you know, despite then the Delta variant rising in a number of states in America, um, the reopening, hospitality jobs picking up, so forth. Um, despite recent growth, employment in leisure and hospitality, though, is down still by 1.7 million or about 10.3% from its level in February 2020. So that's the gap there, about 10% or so. So I think that helps a little bit because this is the sort of thing the doves certainly on the Fed would be conscious of because, as we know, jobs, inflation are key metrics. Um, but the other thing that I thought was particularly important, I was talking about this in the, the briefing this morning, and it's something that I think people who are new to markets don't always quite uh, well, they're not aware of, I guess. It's not that they don't understand it. It's like, what? There's technical adjustments to the way data is calculated or seasonality in terms of data methodology. It's like, isn't a number just a number? Wouldn't that make <laughs> life easier? Um, and the point of this being is that, you know, the BLS themselves said that staffing fluctuate, fluctuations in education due to the pandemic, have distorted the normal seasonal buildup and layoff patterns, likely contributing to the job gains in July. Without the typical seasonal employment increases earlier, there were fewer layoffs at the end of the school year, resulting in job gains after seasonal adjustments. Uh, and they even said themselves, these variations make it more challenging to discern the current employment trends in these education industries. And, you know, that overlaid for me, because when we talk about the Fed, the top end most optimistic for the headline today, it came in at 943,000 above expectations, was 1.6 million. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty good report. <laughs> but uh, I guess this is kind of then down to, uh, I mean, um, we haven't spoken since all of this 
uh, kicked off a few hours ago. But for me personally, uh, this doesn't change the the path that we're on as far as Powell is concerned, at least. Yeah. Um, I still think we've got, what, three weeks to run until Jackson Hole. There's going to be more incoming information, more data developments on the Delta variant, what that looks like. And so for me, it's a holding pattern. I don't think, you know, I think when the vice chair, Richard Clarida, left Powell's side for a momentary wander on the hawkish side, I think Powell probably thought, Oof, if this does come out, I'm going to have to switch sides here and start yeah. talking it up. So I think Powell's going to feel pretty good this weekend that he's right to stand pat. I still think that the whole, you know, Waller talking about earlier this week, we need two excellent payrolls for me to constitute tapering, tapering in October, yeah. which is incredibly soon. But this report to me doesn't justify that. It's just not good enough. And with that added benefit of what I was talking about with the staffing on schooling, I think that even takes more shine off that marginal beat. And so, yeah, that's my take. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you to an extent with that non-farm payrolls number specifically, marginal beat, as you said, which is right, 943,000. So only, only a bit above expectation, not enough to really make it any make it interesting at all. Although it was the best reading since last summer. So, you know, it has been um, an improving trend um, throughout the whole of 2021. And this is the best reading since last summer. So, you know, from that trend point of view, it's positive. But I was actually a bit more surprised. At what, what surprised me was actually the unemployment number. Um, normally, it's a bit of, it's the sideshow and nobody really cares too much about it. But, um, you know, we were expecting, I think, 5.6 and last month was 5.7%. And it came in at 54 um, which is the lowest reading since before the pandemic. So again, a continuing positive trend. But it was quite, a, uh, sorry, last month was 5.9, apologies. So yeah. it, it dropped from 5.9 to 5.4, which is a huge move, um, you know. And, and also the labor force participation rate actually went up by 0.1. And normally when the labor force particip participation rate goes up, that's normally... That's a negative for, for unemployment, right? That that's actually leads to unemployment going up potentially as well. So the fact that the labor force participation went up marginally and still the unemployment rate dropped by 0.5, that's a big change. So that's the thing for me that was the one thing that grabbed my attention. Now, you know, whether or not that significant gain is sustainable and we see further drops in unemployment you know, in the months to come. I mean, that's that will then be the key that that perhaps gets Jerome Powell to kind of change his stance slightly. But I think, yeah, I mean, for sure, I'm in your camp in that this this report's good, it's solid, but it's not too good. You know, it doesn't force the Fed to become more hawkish. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, and, and just to be um, clear as well, because you know we've had our summer analysts with us, of course, this week and. Yeah, this isn't a conversation because I think it can often be construed that way. It's like taper, no taper. What side are you on? Yeah. It's totally not that discussion. It's tapering is happening. As you rightly said, the pattern is of improvement. COVID, yeah. touch wood, will not be here forever. And so, you know, the path is to improvements and the path is to normalize and the sequence is tapering and it is going to happen. 
It's does yeah. it happen sooner or later, essentially? Yeah. yeah, it's it's when, not if, unless we get that right. sort of Armageddon scenario that I was talking about a few weeks ago. But yeah, it's when, not if. And, you know, the report today is we're on track, but we don't need to, at the moment, it's like the end, it's roughly the end of the year, right? Is when tapering will start. I mean, then we're, as we get more towards the end of the year and that becomes more certain, it won't then be about when is it going to start? We're going to then start panicking about, well, how fast will it be? Right. By how much are they going to reduce spending, you know, at each meeting? So that'll be the next thing that we obsess about. Um, but but it's still for now, there's we're, there's enough of a way off that we're still thinking, you know, is it the end of the year? Is it is it quarter one twenty two? And I think that the data we'll get in the next two months will really cement that timing. Yeah. What are you thinking for yourself at the minute in terms of timing for the commencement of actual tapering? Um, end of the year or Q1? With what we know at this point in time. Yeah, so I think in the massive grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Um, me- medium term makes yep. no difference. Um, however, short term, it definitely does matter. And I think the ISM uh, non-manufacturing number that we got on Wednesday was really bullish. Um, I actually thought, wow, that's, that's really strong. And when that number landed, because up until that point, I was a little bit worried, you know, that big like rebound, COVID rebound growth spike was losing momentum. And it was just, okay, well, how fast are we going to lose momentum here? And the faster we lose momentum, well, then the further that tapering gets pushed out. But I think that ISM reading on Wednesday was like, wow, okay, that's massive. Okay, maybe actually the momentum isn't being lost on this strong rebound. But then you've mentioned COVID and there's, you know, this particular issue with the Delta variant in certain states, um, certain Republican-leaning states where the vaccine take-up has been well, politicized actually quite ridiculously, but it's been politicized. And so a lot of Republican, a lot of Trump fans aren't taking it as a political stance. But of course, then that means that the Delta variant's ripping through those states um, more easily. So yeah, there's still uncertainty there. But so, you know, we need, there's still, there's still time yet and we need to see how the data falls. But I, yeah, at the moment, I'm, 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 I'm January 22. I thought you were sounding more upbeat then, <laughs> with a little yeah. glimmer of COVID on the end. You're going right. to hit me with a deck. <laughs> but, uh, evidently not. But all right, cool. Well, look, let's wrap it up there. Um, Piers, always a pleasure. Thanks for sticking around the Friday as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it. And Have we a good will weekend. see you again. Yeah. You too. I'll see, you, see everyone uh, for the next episode next week. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.